Hi there, Chris here. I own, write, narrate, and produce The Tall Guy with the Short Stories. It's a big job, but it's a labor of love. I have a passion for reading and writing, and with a voice like this, how could I not narrate as well? I also produce the show because I enjoy listening to new, fresh podcasts every week, and I know you do too. So, I'd like to say thank you for joining me on the Tall Guy with the Short Stories podcast. All episodes go together with each other, and I'd hate to have any part of the story spoiled for you, so if you missed the last episode, or any of the episodes, I'd like to invite you to go back and check out all the episodes I've released. You can find them on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. If you're up to date with all the episodes, (laughs) buckle up, because here we go, a brand new episode of Thomas Tales on the Tall Guy with the Short Stories podcast. He wasn't sure what happened. One moment, Thomas had his hand on Will's shoulder and his friend was getting sick. The fight with the knaves had been quick, vicious, and for some, deadly. Will had trouble sorting out all the violence, and the result was his stomach revolting. Thomas had moved to give his friend whatever comfort he could, while his own heart seemed to be beating out of his chest. He looked at Z, asking silently what more he could do for his friend. Z returned his look with a fierce sort of pride. Thomas had acted decisively. He had aimed true and staggered one of the men attempting to do them harm. His actions had played out to secure their victory against men who sought to take what wasn't theirs, men who had dared to threaten them. The young woman felt a pride so strong she thought she may tackle the small blacksmith and kiss him on the mouth. Smith moved to make his way to the wagon to check on Will. Sometimes a young man's first face-off with a deadly foe could have these negative consequences. He hurt for the young man and wanted to comfort him as Thomas was doing to let him know there was no shame in what he was feeling, to help him secure his self-control again, to retrieve some semblance of normal after the last few moments had turned all four of the young one's worlds upside down. As he passed Brand, he had clapped him on the shoulder, genuinely pleased that the eldest son of the baker had handled himself so well. And then Smith heard Brand fall to the ground and let out a pained growl. The big crafter's head snapped back to Brand, and he was horrified to see the stain of blood coming from the young man's arm. Smith knelt beside Brand and inspected what had caused the damage. A dagger, the thin man must have thrown, had passed through the triceps of the large young man and poked out the other side of his arm. About an inch of the dagger was visible on the exit side of the wound. On the entrance, the knife was buried to its hilt, Brand began grasping at the dagger to remove it and hopefully lessen the pain. Smith, however, knew better than to allow that. As the puncture wound was passing through his arm, if the blade was removed, it might cause intense bleeding, more than anyone could staunch. So Smith took hold of Brand's grasping hand and held it well away from the blade. Easy, lad, easy, muttered Smith. Tom, and the box, there are bandages. Bring them at once, boy. 
Tom leapt up to the wagon and tore the top from the wooden box. He rummaged around blindly and managed to take hold of a bandage mostly by sheer luck. With the wagon being above the level of the fire, it was completely unlit and he couldn't have seen anything at all. After holding up the bandage to be sure that was what he had grabbed, he rushed down beside Smith and held the bandage out wordlessly. Tears were streaming from his eyes, but Tom would not let the tears interfere with his duty. He waited patiently next to the smith as the large man inspected the wound as precisely as he could. Brand, don't touch the knife in your arm. You could do more damage. I need you to stand up and walk to the fire with me. I need a better look, said the smith as calmly as if he were asking Brand to pass the salt at dinner. Zelas, stoke the fire with a few bits of wood. I won't need long to inspect, but I do need more light. Z had begun moving even as the smith was still talking. She had taken hold of some small bits of firewood. Brand and Will had made a small pile of kindling and larger sticks while Tom and Z had been scouting, and she immediately took them from the fire and laid them out evenly so as to create more light. They would burn quickly and flame brightly. Tom had followed only a step or two beside Smith as the big man helped Brand to the fire. Holding the bandage dutifully and ignoring the tears streaming down his face. Will had ceased his vomiting until he had moved closer and seen what had happened to his brother. With this knowledge, he began to choke and gag anew, though there was nothing left in his stomach to come up. Smith spoke just as calmly as he had before. Lass, you go to Will. Tom, stay here. I'll need those bandages before long. Z went and patted Will's shoulder awkwardly, quietly reassuring Will that everything would be all right. Smith studied the knife wound intently for a few seconds, and then he spoke to Thomas without looking away from the bleeding brand. Tom, give me a knife, quickly. Thomas moved the bandages to one hand and produced one of his daggers with the other, handing it handle first to the blacksmith. The large man carefully took the blade and as gently as he could began cutting away Brand's shirt. In a few moments he had removed the clothing from the side of the puncture and had bowed his head to look closely. Thomas, I shall need some water. Bring a canteen, quickly. Thomas rose and bolted to the wagon to grab his own canteen and rocketed back to the smith, holding it out wordlessly. Smith then poured water over the wound, speaking calmly to Brand, asking that he hold still. Redness streamed down Brand's arm, but after just a moment or two, the water flowing down his arm had gone mostly clear again, only tinged with pink. The smith then took the bandage from Tom and said to him, Lad, I shall need your help. Come over here and wrap this around the bottom of the wound site, then hold still. Good lad. After Thomas had done this, Smith looked at Brand and said quietly and calmly, Brand, this next part will be hard. I know how tough you are, but I want you to close your eyes and breathe as deeply as you can. Smith then locked his eyes onto Tom's and said, When I tell you, boy, begin to wrap this arm as quickly as you can. Make it tight, Thomas. Pay no attention to anything else. 
Aye. Thomas nodded wordlessly and spread his legs a bit wider apart, the better to steady himself. His heart still beating so fast and hard, he could scarcely distinguish the space between beats. The smith took hold of the blade that had skewered Bran's arm, and with one quick motion had jerked it free and told Thomas, Now, lad, wrap it tightly. Tom did as he was told, and said nothing, though his vision was blurry and his breath came unsteadily. Brand clenched his teeth and screamed till Tom thought his throat would tear. After only a few seconds, the wound was wrapped and no blood had escaped from the bandage. Brand had ceased his screaming, and Smith had taken the canteen and held it to Brand's lips. Drink some, lad. Small sips if you can. After another few minutes, Will, Z, and Thomas had gathered quietly around Brand, not speaking but still reassuring themselves that he was all right. Smith had cleaned the blood off his own hands and Tom's hands. He had cleaned the knife and found the sheath the thin knave had held the blade in. After inspecting it thoroughly, he laid the sheathed knife down next to Brand. It's a well-crafted blade, Brand. A fine keepsake of your first skirmish. You lot. Here he addressed Z and Tom and Will. Have done me proud this morning. You all kept cool heads and performed better than anyone could have expected. Will bowed his head and looked away, trying to hide his disgust with himself. But the blacksmith walked over to him, put both hands on his shoulders, and looked directly into his eyes. Listen to me, Will. The first fight I was ever in I wasn't much older than you. I lost my head and ran away. I was sick for two hours afterward, and directly following that, I cried myself to sleep. You've performed better than I, and I am proud of you. Will reluctantly turned his eyes to meet the smith's, and he all but whispered his question. Truly? The young mage stared wide-eyed at the smith, hardly daring to believe him. The big crafter took his hands off Will's shoulders and continued to speak matter-of-factly. Nodding, he replied, Mmm, I pissed myself too. Just then, the man who had accompanied the fat thief and the thin thief began to stir, rasping noises coming from his throat. In the silence of the morning, everyone had to look around to figure where the sound was coming from. Will felt some uneasy feeling, a prickle over the nape of his neck, and his attention was directed toward the average knave, the one who had walked between the fat and the thin man. He began walking toward him slowly, not thinking about what he was doing, his curiosity directing his movements. He felt a little thrill from the area of his mind that constantly tempted him to use his magic, but this was different. Later, he would recount that it almost felt like a tug, something barely there, so quiet and small that he barely registered it as a temptation. Well, interrupted the smith, in the same tone of voice he had been using earlier, come back here, something is very wrong. Will stopped in his tracks, a bit surprised he had begun moving toward the rasping, gurgling noises coming from the man. He looked back towards Smith and felt a surge of rebelliousness flare in his mind. 
At that moment, he recognized this feeling was another application of the temptation to use his magic. He shook his head violently and walked back to Smith. I'm sorry, Smith. I barely realized what I was doing. He then looked to Thomas and Z and Brand. They were all looking toward the fallen man with horror written plainly on their faces. Will looked at the smith, curious that fear had overtaken his friends. He was surprised to see the anger written on the smith's face. Quizzically, he asked the smith, What's wrong? The big blacksmith put out his hand and laid it lightly on Will's shoulder. Gently, but firmly, he guided the young man back behind him. Positioning himself between the fallen man and the rest of the young folk. Because, Will, I checked that man's pulse not five minutes ago, and there was no beat from his heart. That man is dead, and there is no good reason he should be making those noises. Another sponsor for this episode is Meech's Minis. If you go to Etsy.com and you search in that little search bar up top, Meech's Minis, M-E-A-C-H-S-M-I-N-I-S, one more time, M-E-A-C-H-S-M-I-N-I-S, you will find some work from a true genius. Not only can the man paint minis, he can also modify them. I mean, depending on what you want done. But don't take my word for it. Go on over to Meech's Minis on Etsy.com and take a look at some of the beautiful stuff he's made. The Tall Guy with the Short Stories is also the tall guy who loves disc golf. If you're looking for disc golf stuff, maybe discs, or bags, or rangefinders, or maybe even apparel, you should go on over to evolutiondiscs.com. If you use the code CDS on your checkout, you'll get 10% off, and you'll be helping out the local tall guy. You know, the one with the short stories. Hey friends, Gritter here. On this podcast, I've made it a point to advertise for small businesses. To that end, I'm very excited to tell you about another product I've just been made aware of. Juniper and Willow Handmade Soaps, which you can find on Instagram at Juniper and Willow Boutique, all one word, is a small business out of Dallas, North Carolina. They heard about my podcast from Meech's Minis, and they asked if I might be able to advertise for them. I told them I'd love to, but would have to test the soap first. They graciously sent me a bar of soap entitled Zen. And the test shower was magical. A mystical aroma enshrouded me and calmed me as I bathed. Not only that, it cleansed me gently and completely. I felt clean and refreshed from the soap and the scent. You can also find them on Facebook at facebook.com backslash juniper and willow and you can order at their website at https colon backslash backslash juniper dash and dash willow dot square dot site backslash you owe it to yourself to give them a try a wonderful bathing experience thanks to juniper and willow and their zen handmade soap don't forget to tell them that the tall guy sent you
Will craned his neck to look past the big crafter, fear assaulting his mind, along with curiosity. It was then that all of them had the biggest shock of their lives. As they stared, slack-jawed, at the down-dead man, the body stirred. Small movements, almost like he was testing his muscles. First, he moved his hands, then his arms. The corpse sat up and looked around, craning its neck far past the limits it should have been able to. They all heard its neck bones crackling and crunching, even from where they sat staring. The corpse began to stand, and Smith went to the fire to recover the sword he had taken from the thin man. He grasped the sword, unsheathed it and held it at low guard, once again stepping between the moving corpse and the four young folk. And then, the corpse, for that's what it was, without question, began to speak. Who are you? It asked. Who dares destroy my underlings? Who are you? Smith asked gruffly. The corpse tilted its head oddly and did not answer immediately, almost as though it did not understand what Smith had asked it. It did, however, continue to make its rasping, gurgling noises, and Thomas noticed, amidst a flash of insight, that the noise was air attempting to fill the now-ruined lungs. Blood continued to drizzle and drip off the arrow that was still lodged in its chest. He was both amazed and disgusted with this realization, and his heart continued to hammer inside his own chest. After a moment or two of silence, the corpse's face began to stretch in the parody of a smile. So gruesome was the sight that Smith made a disgusted sound and began to stalk toward what used to be a man. Sword point coming up to a high guard now. The creature, for Thomas didn't know what else to call the perversion that now stood in front of them, was about thirty feet away. Smith stalking ever closer to it. Thomas began moving toward it as well, calling to the big crafter, Smith! I think it's... These words proved to be a mistake, for no sooner had Thomas called to the blacksmith than the corpse repeated him. Smith be thy name, it said, another not-smile stretching its face grotesquely. Z moved quickly to get beside Thomas and raised her bow, an arrow already on the string and aimed for the head of the perversion that they all faced. She breathed steadily and loosed the deadly shaft. The arrow flew straight and true toward the creature and buried itself in its eye socket, splitting the now-dead orb that used to bring the living man's sight. The body did not fall nor stagger. It did, however, make a coughing noise, blood and worse, still dripping from both arrows that were lodged in the body. After the coughing noises continued, Thomas looked to Z. I, I think it's laughing at us, he said. Both he and Z made no more movements toward this new threat. Then the creature spoke again. Thy name I now know, man, 
and armed with such information, I shall hunt thee relentlessly. Even if this body falls, be aware that I know whom thou art. Smith, unfettered, stalked ever closer to the thing, blade held high, his powerful muscles waiting cautiously to parry any attack that came from the aberration. He was only fifteen feet away now, only a few more steps and he'd be able to attack. But Thomas worried, anxiety filling his heart. If Z's arrow hadn't had any effect, what could the big blacksmith do with his blade? What if it attacked him and overcame him? The four of them would be alone, in the wild with a, a thing trying to kill them. Smith stalked ever closer in total silence, grim determination coloring his face, sweat beating on his brow. How fortunate this be, said the corpse. Only a little time ago did I threaten Inger's Hall, and after I am done with them, I shall hunt you. It shall be delicious. And now Smith was within striking distance. His blade traversed just above the shoulders of the dead man and took its head clean off. The body dropped to the ground only a few seconds after the head had landed with a wet-sounding thump. A few twitches of the body, more gurgling, and the body came to rest. Smith turned his gaze upon his four charges, and his eyes were wide. Load the wagon. We've no time to waste. We must be on our way immediately, he proclaimed darkly. Thomas's voice squeaked yet again as he asked the smith, What was that? How did he get back up after the arrow through the chest? Smith had gone to one knee to clean the borrowed blade in the grass at the edge of the road. He recovered its sheath and replaced the blade within it. He then immediately began cleaning up their campsite and answered Thomas, There is no time to waste, lad. That was a zombie. A false-lifed creature that has no will of its own. We must be away as soon as we may. All haste must now be made to get to the Inger's Hall as quickly as we can. The four young folk, bewildered, began cleaning up the campsite with Smith. They were all shocked into silence and more than a little fear. Brand picked up the unburned firewood and put it in the wagon. Will collected the plates that he had cleaned the night before. Z went to collect her arrows cautiously, pulling Thomas with her. Leave them, said the smith. Don't go anywhere near those three. Thomas and Z moved back toward the wagon and prepared the bedrolls, tying them off after re-rolling them and throwing them into the wagon. Will went to the horses and untied them from their hitches, leading them with shaking hands back to the wagon so that him and Brand could re-secure them for travel. What of this, the other two thieves? Z asked. Shouldn't we collect their belongings or tie them up? No, lass. Trust me when I say we want nothing to do with those two. They're in league with something this land has rarely had to face. 
Leave them to their fate. They deserve a... They cleaned the campsite within ten minutes and were on the wagon shortly afterward. The fire! Brand cautioned and jumped back down to douse the remaining coals with his water skin. Wait! called the smith. A few torches first. A load of help would be to Ingress all if we all got lost in the dark on the way. For the first time, Thomas heard a tone of urgency in Smith's voice. After the horses had been hitched, the torches had been made and lit, and after they were once again moving down the road, Thomas moved closer to the blacksmith and asked, Why are you nervous, Smith? What's happened? Beyond that being the creepiest thing I've ever even heard of, you killed it. Uh, again, we're safe, aren't we? No, lad. We are not safe. Neither are the folks of Ingress Hall. They've got no idea what's coming after them, and if they don't know, they cannot defend themselves effectively against it. Thomas realized the smith was urging the horses faster than he had before in the daylight, and he couldn't help the next words from coming out of his mouth. What? What's coming after us? The smith turned and looked Thomas in the eyes directly. He breathed in deeply, as though he had to brace himself to speak the next words. Tom, he said, we are, even at this moment, being hunted by a necromancer. That is the end of episode three. Please tune in next week, and we'll continue on with episode four. Don't forget to click that follow button. Thank you so much for your support, and have a great day.